Hello, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host, Cameron McAllister. And I'm your co-host, Nathan Rittenhouse. Today is Giving Tuesday. Well, it's today for you. It's not Giving Tuesday for us yet. We have to live our lives <laughs> We're in the speaking future. prophetically. Yes, That's as right. the future holds, it'll be Giving it's Tuesday when you hear this. podcast. Well, so we thought we would use this occasion to talk a little bit about giving and generosity in general. I think that's a habit that's characteristic of, of Christians that may look peculiar in some ways. And so I think it makes sense to just on this occasion talk a little bit about the logic of giving perhaps and also just, yeah, the sense behind it and why why we, we would engage in such a practice. And, and to point out that we're speaking to people who are phenomenally generous, we know that as those of you who are listening to this, and if you're a Christian in general, when you look at the giving mm-hmm. rates of philanthropic activity, um, Christians lead the charge there by far and across all socioeconomic categories. So it's not just wealthy Christians that give disproportionately more, it's middle class and lower class, class um, Christians that give disproportionately mm-hmm. more than their um, peers and other non-religious categories as well. So that it already is happening. So this isn't like, Hey, here's something you should be doing. It's, Hey, here's something you're doing. Let's think about why. So this is a typical thinking out loud. Let's take something obvious and normal and make it complicated for you. So you'll be in better situation. Hopefully (laughs) when we come out on the other side of it, but I was, you know, I was thinking about this Cameron on the, and I want to get, we want to get into the, why is that? But if you remember your mythology, your epics, epic Gilgamesh, all the way back through, one of the fundamental things that happens is that the gods create in order to receive from the humans. So whether it's to produce food Mm -hmm. for them or to sacrifice, or there's a whole litany of things that the humans give to God, which is in contrast to what we find you know, even in the little, uh, you know, something like John three sixteen that we're all familiar with for God so loved the world that he gave. And so the, the mm-hmm. God giving side is the, is the, is the prerequisite and the predicate for the foundation of the, of the human giving. And then oddly enough, sure, there are things that we get quote, give back to God, but by and large, it's not like God is saying, I want you to give X amount of this as a sacrifice to me in order for the, it's, you know, do you see someone in need? Give to them. And so there's a continuation there of the giving nature of God that is then mirrored in the giving nature of his followers in uh, in a way that it doesn't, maybe it loops back to the honor and the glory of God, but it isn't like, what, like, what does mm-hmm. God need from us in our concept of God? It's, you know, it's mm-hmm. a hilarious question to even try to ask. And, you know, biblical authors have said that, like, you know, what are you trying to give back to God? You know, um, it doesn't need anything. But there's something about the giving nature of God that plays itself out in the way in which God expects us to be mindful of those who are in need. So there's just a little starting point there that there's a comparative element. Um, And then also in percentages, too, I think, you know, Islam, you give 2%. uh, Christians historically have given at least 10. um, So we can get into the numbers a a bit later, too. But it's it's not accidental. It's it's theologically rooted. Well, and the notion that God you know, doesn't need anything from us is really important, and yet we are commanded to give, which I take to mean we actually do need to give. 
So mm. God, in other words, needs nothing from us, but something about our very nature requires generosity of us. And I think there's something really important there, a clue about how we came into being in the first place. The phrase, all is grace, you'll hear that sometimes, and I would wholeheartedly affirm it because what it means in a very primal sense is that none of us have anything apart from the grace of God. Our very existence, we owe to him. So in this sense, the fact that you you have you breathe in air in your lungs, the fact that you can enjoy the created order, that you have being itself, all of this is a gift. That's really important. Some a lot of theologians will stress that, by the way, that another way of saying this is that God, of course, is in no way dependent on his creation. So that sound mm-hmm. that stands in contrast to what Nathan just opened up there with, where you have scenarios with gods or, you know, Greek demigods who create people and they clearly they're creating sort of a race of servants. They have things that they need from them, you know, do this for me. And that's that's perhaps doing a disservice to the richness of a lot of this this beautiful mythology. But nevertheless, that remains essentially true. That is not the case here where you have God is not some, you know, he's not some demigod. He's not some really great being among lesser beings. He is himself the source and wellspring of all that exists in the first place. And before the created order, of course, God exists in perfect self-sufficient harmony and a sweet society in and of himself. Yeah, Nathan's got something there. Well, okay, because I could imagine people throwing the objection back and saying, well, wait a second. There's a whole lot of ideas of serving God. Um, Paul writes, you know, a ser- you know, people identify themselves as servants sure. of God, and that's weak. It's probably slave of God. It seems to be that the idea in the Old Testament is that the reason that it was wrong for an Israelite to be a slave is that they were supposed to be slaves of God. Now, that mm-hmm. being said, the ultimate service that was being enacted there was not that God needed something from the people, but that he had expectations in the way that they should live their lives. So there was a, so there is a subservience but it's not a, a necessary condition for the existence of God or his continued being. So there are things that we are to offer up and to give to God, even to the extent of our lives, but that's not because God fundamentally needs it in order to continue to exist. There's, but this gets back into, no, you know, we need it. Right. Yes. So this is what Cameron was saying is that it's what, Okay, hang on. Zoom zoom out here with me for a second. And if you've listened to the podcast for a while, you'll you'll know the line of th- thinking Whoa. here. Whoa. Zoomed out. That yep. <laughs> um, is to say that we often talk about the idea that the things that God commands us to do are reflections of his character and nature. So it's a way of skirting around Euthyphro's dilemma to say, do the gods, you know, say something? Do the gods deem it to be good because it's good, or is it good because the gods call it good? And we would say neither of those is true, that God commands things that are conformity with his his nature, with his character, that he doesn't ask anything of us that he himself doesn't already model uh, perfectly. All that to say, therefore, is that the commands that God give us are a reflection of his character, which as Christ, which, which as creatures made in his image, th- the best way in order for us to be is to purely reflect that image and that character. And so there's a sense in which we we need it because that's what we were created for. And this is not just in like giving money. This is in all the category, all the moral categories of life. But it's not just willy nilly. There's a 
a really, really rich anthropology and theological reality that's being affirmed when we give. So if we were given everything, it also means that what we have is not, we can't strictly say, you know, can't strictly speaking, look at everything that we have and say, this is mine, plain and simple. Mm -hmm. I earned Mm -hmm. it. It's all mine. And I think we have to hear this, of course, as Westerners these days, and increasingly the Western outlook when it comes to consumerism is kind of worldwide because we have this, we do have a kind of consumer outlook, especially when it comes to our, what we would deem our possessions, our property, even a phrase like time. Nathan, I'm often convicted by the phrase my time. For instance, if I say, this is such a waste of my time, I have to constantly remind myself and sometimes the Lord has to rather <laughs> forcibly remind me, it's not your time. Whatever time we have has been given to us. It's a gift. And so, and whatever we have, and this includes our talents as well. Let's say, you know, you are a very resourceful person. Let's say you're a person who has been blessed and you have accumulated a good deal. That's something to be deeply grateful for. But Gratitude is a very telling word. It's one thing to have have an attitude of of kind of oh it's going to rhyme an attitude. Oh, of gratitude. oh no, here he goes. Here we go. Here we go. And another though, if you have a sense of ownership, you think one you you think of Nebuchadnezzar staring out over his magnificent gardens, which were by the way you can you want to have fun with a commentary. Read about those gardens. They were architectural marvels. Absolutely amazing, magnificent. And so, you know, staring out over that vast empire and thinking, this is all mine. I've got it. That's obviously a very dangerous, if well, if we're taking scripture seriously, it's a very dangerous frame of mind. But I think it's one that we easily slip into if we forget that all is grace in the sense that everything that we have, including our gifts and talents, is a gift from above. And so if we think in those terms, if not just think in those terms, but we, we live out of that posture, it will reorient our, our lives and we'll see giving in a different way. Because, I mean, again, if Christianity is true, you were made, whether you, whether you live in accordance with this or not, you were made to love God supremely and then love your neighbor as yourself. So out of those two great commandments, one of the outworkings of that would be a, gener- a spirit of generosity and a spirit mm-hmm. of giving. And it would be somebody who recognizes I'm giving because I have. there's nothing that I have that I have not received. So therefore, I also will give freely. And this giving, by the way, helps us. We grow morally. We grow more as people in our, in our character when we do that. God, of course, needs nothing from us. But this is something we need, too. Yeah. Well, there's so, okay. So let's, let's follow up on that just a second. Um, cause I think one of the ways in which you've, you, if you're listening to this, you, you may have had this exam, this happen to you where you've been kind of, um, listening to kids is, is a really enlightening way to think about the, the idea of mine and possession or like, I'm going to my bedroom. Um, you know, there's that where you kind of laugh. Um, or sometimes we see other people, and, you know, fighting over very, you know, meager, meager possessions or something. But th- there, there's a sense in which it's not just about 
So we are reflecting the character and nature of God, but there's also a proper dependence that's baked in here because one of the reasons that we don't give or we might get tight-fisted is to say that unless I'm stingy, I won't have enough. And so it's it's very much this mm. concept of, and I'm, I'm not shooting the idea of stewardship in the head, that's a biblical concept, but it's of saying that I can't give because if I give, nobody else will take care of me. And a, mm-hmm. a, a story my brother was saying that, you know, his son who's first grade, um, there, we were working on some project at church, I don't know, drilling wells or whatever. And his son said to him, um, you know, I think I'd like to give money to this and I'm going to give X amount of dollars, like $40 or something. I don't know what it was. And Ben said, you know, isn't that all the money that you have? And he said, yeah, I'd like to give all the money that I have to this project. And Ben said to him, he said, well, yeah, you can do that because you know you have a father who will take care of all your needs. And he's like, and in that moment, Mm -hmm. as it was coming out of my mouth, I thought, wow, Hmm. actually, that is the parallel. Very, yeah. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. where you get that little aha moment of like, that is the concept of I can be extremely generous because I have a, I believe I have a father who'll take care of all my needs. Um, so the the six year old giving forty dollars and the sixty year old giving whatever you know the Lord is asking of them is functionally the same, um, or the sixteen year old or whatever age you are listening to this. But um, so there's there's that that sense of a proper dependence of saying I'm confident enough in the provision of God for my life that I can give. Um, simple things like 10% or whatever, even when it doesn't necessarily financially make sense because actually my confidence is not in my bank account. It's actually in God sustaining me as I walk in obedience to what he's asking of me. So there, that, that idea of dependence and self-sufficiency really gets into this category of giving where we sort of set up security, financial security as an idol, I think, um, and I'm not like mm-hmm. I'm preaching to myself here and just s- spreading the guilt around. Um, sure, but it's something for us to be mindful of as a major hiccup in our um, in our thinking on giving or not. Yeah, I think the notions of of security are obviously a huge a huge draw. And of course, we find ourselves in a time of economic uncertainty. And again, there's nothing unusual about that. These kinds of economic hiccups happen from time to time. And I know that this this the language I'm using here runs the risk of sounding like it's trivializing what's going on. And in a sense, I am trivializing what's going on. Not because I don't take people's struggles and, and hardships seriously. You know, I have to stroll through the same grocery stores everybody else does, and I, I see those those prices rising. But bar- partly because I guess, Nathan, this is something that I, I run into from time to time. And I have to preach to myself on this one too, because I waver. And I'll, I'll feel, I'll have moments of anxiety where I feel nervous, but ultimately my bedrock assumption is that yes, the world is fallen. So therefore you'll see these convulsions, but everything remains in God's hands and we are part of God's kingdom. And that doesn't preclude difficulties and hardship, of course, but it does mean that everything will be all right. And the world as it is, is a perfectly safe place for you. I'm borrowing that phraseology from Dallas Willard, who at the end of his life said that he believed that that phrase came to him gift-wrapped from God. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's a phrase we need to hear more nowadays because just as global conflicts escalate as the, yes, we, we experience economic turmoil, but they're also 
we're, we're looking, we're staring at the face of escalating worldwide conflict. So a lot is happening. So in the midst of all of that, to say the world is a perfectly safe place for you and I, and in the context of this particular episode, the world is a perfectly safe place for you to be generous and to give. Mm-hmm. It's a major, it's a gesture of faith. But again, we are people who live by faith and walk by faith, not by sight. And yes, there are times where that will cause no trouble with anybody whatsoever, but there are other times where that will that will make you look crazy. It will yeah. make you look like a fool at times. And we have to make our peace with that as well. So I think just it's worth it's worth pointing that out. I don't I don't take lightly stewardship either. I'm this, I'm right I'm right there with you Nathan. But I also recognize that security itself is a major fetish for many people in in just in, you know, affluent nations. And that's something that's a factor that with which we have to contend a lot. Yeah. I th- I think too there's a sense in this of kind of so when you say my money my life my time that i'm i'm I'm, so they're they're like snap judgments we have to make on what to give to and how to spend our time um you're checking out and would would you like to add up round up or would you like to add a dollar for this charity or whatever so there are you know there's that kind of like decisions you have to make but then there are also bigger decisions of um, if I subscribe to 15 streaming services, my capacity to give is diminished. So there, there are also economic situations that we put ourselves in where we're, where we feel like we're, our, our back is to the rope. We're up against the wall because of broader lifestyle choices that we're making. So there, there are ways, so we can think of, okay, character, nature of God, yada, yada, yada. And do I give 10% and all of this? But there's another sense of that of what is the lifestyle that goes along with that generosity? Is it possible for me to live more simply in one category in order to be even more generous than I would be? Can I, um, you know, in the boxing analogy, can you punch above your weight? Can you give beyond your Mm -hmm. means because you live within your means? Um, There's that kind of thing that's financial, but then there's that's also time wise of like the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of us for a lot of parts of our day, we aren't the masters of our own time. And it's not just like it, like, oh, at 1030 sure. in the morning, I can go run off and do this errand for my, uh, you know, elderly neighbor because I'm on the clock. So there are structural things in our lives that we should be periodically evaluating as well. I think of saying, are, are the bigger systems at play allowing me to be generous with my time and money? And the answer to that is probably yes, but I think it's, it's worth asking that question at least. I think so too. I mean, and it's, it's, you're going to pushing against the, 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 the real flow of culture here is going to be tough. I mean, it's, it is countercultural to look at everything that you have as a gift. Everything mm-hmm. yeah. around you is going to tell you the opposite. And so I think we need to drill into this just, just for a moment. Because I think some of the statements I've made earlier in, in the setting of a Sunday morning or, or church or a Sunday school class sound like truisms. Of course, nothing is, yes, we have nothing that we have not received. It's all gift. All is grace. But in the day-to-day circumstances of our lives, I think we just implicitly will often move very far away from these 
truths and they don't, they cease to be guiding assumptions for us sometimes. I know that's the case for me. So it's trying to find ways in our life, in our lives, and this is going to take some creativity, I think, sometimes, Nathan. And this is where creative spiritual disciplines can come into play. But ways to help remind ourselves that our lives are not our own. We're there, I mean, and that everything that we have is indeed a gift, and that we have we have nothing that we haven't received. Ways to ways to get that across, even when it comes to our gifts and talents, because so much wants to push you in the direction of exploiting whatever it is you have, finding a way to market it, finding a way to quote sell yourself. I mean, this is a nation where you know, if you have if you have something good, you're good at something. If you have a if you can do an impression, man, you should get a YouTube channel and start doing that immediately <laughs> immediately and rack up millions of views and and I'm not necessarily saying that being enterprising is always bad. It's not, of course. But I think finding ways to push against the notion that you yeah, whatever you have is is yours and thinking about your life in consumeristic terms. I think it's really difficult. So here's something interesting, Nathan. Maybe this is a way, because I'm just kind of flailing around here looking for a point of entry. Maybe this is one. So a lot of the church fathers are agreed, and especially people like the desert fathers are agreed, that free time is very dangerous. Now, this really <laughs> struck me for a while. And it, now, it makes perfect sense. But yeah, basically, if so a lot of the, for particularly Eastern monastic orders, well, the Eastern monastic order, was very opposed to lots of free time for the monks because they recognized that this was a liability, very dangerous. You needed, needed structure and activities. And now, obviously, one can go too far with this. But it struck me, Nathan, that most of our pursuits these days, just in, in, just in regular secular culture, are devoted to eventually the, the light at the end of the tunnel is leisure. It's free, mm -hmm. it's free time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The light at the end of the tunnel is the vacation, the all-inclusive, the cruise ship. I mean, whatever it is, you name it. And it's just lately I've just been able to, I mean, I don't know. I think if we look at this, let's just be honest, a lot of that, a lot of those pursuits are actually pretty bad for you. Now, I'm not I'm not a total killjoy. I'm not saying we don't need <laughs> oh, time. Oh man, to this rest. is getting dark. Of course we do. No, and and I love I love Joseph Pieper. I think his leisure as the basis for a culture is, is great. So I think you need I think you need time for your mind to be able to reflect and think. But again, he's assuming even in that in that book, he is assuming a telos. He's a, he's assuming purpose and meaning behind it. He's not saying that there's it's bad to have unstructured time, but he's assuming an overall end of our pursuits. Joseph Pieper himself is a devout Catholic. He had a so he has a, a whole rich heritage that's informing his observations. But for a lot of other a lot of a lot of us, there is no the notion of some kind of intrinsic design or purpose to what we do in our pursuits, specifically in our free time is alien. No, 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 no. Don't get in my way. We, we could, no, no, we're going to, we're going to have fun. We're going to do what we want. We don't need any kind of higher purpose or pursuit. I think, 
I think that might be a helpful point of entry here as we think about so, generosity, how we use our resources, what they're going toward. Yeah. All right. So this is so that this is why what you said makes things better and worse. So we're assuming as Christians that there's a purpose to our lives and that um, you know, so I the way that I phrase the question to myself sometimes is, is all time sacred? So is the time that you've been given um is there a purpose to it? You know, so, and I think the answer to that is largely yes, rest and leisure included within it. But the the question is like, okay, there's something I'm supposed to be doing with my life, with my time, with my energy, with my money, with my thought life. And the oddity of this is that it's not intended to be burdensome, that I'm supposed to find pleasure in serving the Lord in this way and that it is ultimately good. And I'm to use your metaphor, enjoying life in the tunnel before I get to the light at the end of it. Um, that there is an eternity now aspect to living in this way, albeit difficult at times, for sure. So that's there. But what that requires then is a phenomenal degree of discernment. There, there isn't like a manual I can download of what to do with my day. I can't let somebody else come up with a schedule for me. I can't run on autopilot throughout the week. I have to be thinking strategically at a lot of turns of, let's go back to giving. Do I give to this? Do I not give to that? So let me ask you a, a discernment type question in this. How do you decide what to give to and what not to give to? Because all of us have the capability to give away everything that we have in the next hour. Um, it, it wouldn't be that hard. So what do you say yes to? What do you say no to? And, and the thing that complicates this is that you have um, in the New Testament passages that say, look, these are the types of people you should support. The widows who have been faithful in supporting the church um, clearly do this. And then on the other hand, if you don't work, you don't eat. And then on the other hand, you have Jesus saying, give to anyone who asks of you. So there are times in which we're called to be discerning and calculating on what we give to. And then there are other times in which we're not supposed to be calculating. And somebody comes up and says, hey, can I have five bucks for this? And then we automatically jump into the category of like, okay, is this person going to buy drugs with this money? Um, so then you're running some kind of moral calculus of whether or not it's a good idea to give the money when actually the thing might not be between you and the other person. It might between, be between you and God where you're mm. giving because you've been asked and then you give because Christ commands it of you, even if it isn't perhaps ec economically and culturally a good idea, you're doing it because it's between you and God, not between you and the other person. Um, those are things that we all have to wrestle with of what's actually going on here. Um, am I, am I not giving because I can, you can, I would imagine there's almost always a situation. There's almost always a reason that you can convince yourself to not give logically and, and it'd be a good reason that other people Absolutely. would agree with, no. but that just doesn't no. line up with what I read in the new Testament. So do you have any helpful tips for me or other people listening on how do you, how do you discern that? I mean, I know that's a huge question just to throw on you, but help me flesh that out. Well, general principle of my life is, is one, one, one of them is that I don't ever want to prioritize convenience over the Lord's commandments. And that applies not just to giving. That applies, of course, to many different situations. As you get older, you will find more and more, and you, many of you listeners, you you know this. You've you've been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. Some of you are are there now. You'll find yourself in situations where you're going to see 
the specter of moral compromise looming. You'll find it in your workplaces. You'll find it, and you, you will find that you're in a position where, okay, if I want to come out of this in a way that is financially beneficial, or you know, if I if I want to if I want to play my cards right here, I'm going to have to do what I know is wrong, and I'm going to have to sacrifice my conviction mm-hmm. convictions on the altar of convenience. That's the phrase I used repeatedly during a during a time of serious discernment in my life recently, and in the end, convenience convenience is of course not necessarily a, a bad thing. It is a bad thing. <laughs> If it if it gets in the way of you obeying Jesus, then, yeah. If it becomes I mean, an anything excuse. that gets in the way of you, stop. Anything that becomes an excuse, anything that gets in the way of you obeying Jesus is bad. And so there are times where we have to. Where we, I mean, we're going to have to do. We are called to live sacrificially, and so that will include. That's included in the giving category. There are times where we must we we've got to give sacrificially as well, and it's a wonderful act of faith. in In my case, and I know in, in the you know the testimony of so many Christians down the ages is that when this is done, it ends up being a very sweet time with the Lord, a time of just real real growth, a sense of of the Lord's love, the Lord's provision, the Lord's care, which we see. It's because it's a tremendous gesture of faith. It's a recognition that Christ is king and that he reigns. And that, as you said at the beginning here with your story about your brother Ben, we are in the hands of our Heavenly Father. And if that is indeed the case, then nothing will stand in the way of us obeying obeying his son, mm-hmm. which includes yeah. which includes giving. So I think, yeah, the I would say be wary of sacrificing your convictions on the altar of convenience. Yeah, let, let me say, uh, okay, while we're making it difficult, let's just keep on going here. So we have the idea of <laughs> oh, <no>. this. <laughs> yeah, I see your confusion and raise you. Um, so we have the story of Abram at the time before he was Abraham and him giving 10% to, to Melchizedek. And then you have the idea of a 10% mm-hmm. tithe shows up a lot of other places in the Old Testament. Um, Some people would come back and say, you know, there isn't really a hard and fast rule on this in the New Testament. You do have a reference, I think it's in Matthew 23, when Jesus is saying, um, look, you tithe a a tenth of your mint, dill, and cumin, um, but you neglect justice. You should do the former without neglecting the latter. So he's saying, you know, it's not, you're not really special if you're just giving 10% of everything down to 10% of your herbs. Like, I did take 10% of my dill to church one time just to prove a point in the sermon. But, um, you know, most of us aren't getting that nitpicky about it. Um, but he's saying if you're doing that, but you're neglecting justice, well, like you've missed the whole point because it's not just about the giving. It's about reflecting the character of God. And so if you're abusing people and perpetuating injustice, but giving 10%, you, you've missed it. You've missed the boat. So, okay. So I think Jesus was okay with the 10% rule. However, he does radically heighten it to basically, I would say that the New Testament expectation is you give everything. <laughs> I mean, so that when people gave, that's kind of how they did that. Now, I'm not saying go out and give everything this afternoon unless the Lord is asking that of you. But what I am saying is it's pretty important that we recognize that it's not like, oh, I'm to give 10% of what I have. It's more like God, 
believes that he is giving me 10% more than what I need in order that I have that excess to give in order to participate in his character and learn more about who he is and how I am to be. It's more like I get to keep 90% each week, which is pretty amazing. That's a lot. So that throws us back then into the category of saying open-handedly before the Lord. And I think, you know, if I, if there's some takeaways from like practical takeaways is, you know, maybe spend some time in prayer of saying, Lord, what do you want me to do with my stuff and my things? Mm. There's that. Um, and then the other side of it is, is to recognize, uh, I hope all of you are giving at least 10% to your local church and supporting the mission and work that's going on there. And then other things in the world too. Um, it's great for those of you who support thinking out loud, but you know what? A lot of times you guys, some people have you supported us and said, Hey, there's another ministry or organization that's doing good work. We're going to change our giving over to that. And I write you a note back and say, thank you so much for your help to us. And I'm so glad that you're doing other good work in the world. Blessings to you. All cheers. This is great. Do that. So, so do the routine, the practical, um, week after week type thing in giving, supporting your church, supporting organizations that you support the work of, charities, et cetera, do that. But also I think um, there's a lot of fun in doing a little bit of extra giving that's sneaky, that's not planned, that's not routine, that isn't automatically deducted out of your bank account. Um, this is just like identifying needs and meeting them on the fly. When you leave your house, uh, you ever take a $10 bill with you and say, you know, somewhere in this day, I'm going to find a way to be a blessing to somebody else, or I'm going to buy something for somebody. And then remember the sneaky factor in here, uh, Jesus talks about not letting your left hand know what your right, right hand know what your left hand is doing. You don't need to publicize this. You don't need to like buy a homeless guy a cheeseburger and take an Instagram, you know, take a photo of it. Just do it for the glory of God. And that I think brings me back around to what I want to end on here, Cameron, is that when churches, you'll often hear maybe in Sunday morning worship, like, and now we're moving to the part of our worship where we take up our tithes and offerings. And there would be a very cynical way to look at that of like, oh, what great gimmick, like the church needs more carpet. And now we're going to act like that's worshiping the Lord. Um, but no, actually there, and I'm not saying that that can't happen or people don't manipulate religious people in order to giving things for ridiculous causes, but there is a reality to it there that it actually is a part of worship because when you give, you're reflecting on the character and the nature of who God is. You're understanding how it is that you're situated in the world. You're recognizing that your dependency ultimately is on him and that when we give to the things that perpetuate the mission of God, that there's a real pleasure in that. That is experientially delightful because we're made in the image of a God who knows how we operate best and is giving us commands of things to do not because he's maniacal, but because it's for his glory, for our neighbor's good, and there's a pleasure to it in living that way. And so the invitation into the Christian life fundamentally and foundationally includes orienting our hearts in the posture of generosity and giving because that's foundational to the character of what we know to be true about the good God that we worship. And so I guess in conclusion here is just to, be sure that you're not separating things out into different categories in your life, that you're having an integrated view of your time and your finances and the energy and the gifts and the talents that God has given you. And then um, spend, do the hard work of discernment of the prayerful time of saying, Lord, what would you have me do with what I have? And then um, 
grin when he gives you a good idea and uh, enjoy that. You know, you were saying the Dallas Willard quote that he felt like that was something that was, how do, how do you say, gift wrapped to him from God, a little phrase or a statement. Um, mm-hmm. I hope all of you get, you know, it's the, it's the holiday season. It's not like there's, oh, it's Giving Tuesday. We're, we're supposed to live lives that embody this. But if this day can help you get back on track, then I think that's a, a great use of uh, celebrating today. You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.